The Warrior Path is a premium remote fitness and nutrition coaching service devoted to training first responders and military servicemen for the harsh realities of their careers. Treating clients like the elite athletes they are so they can get home to their families safely. Each program is individually designed around the unique needs of the client. So whether you are an aspiring police recruit trying to maximize his hiring potential or training for special forces selection, the Warrior Path can tailor a program to your individual needs. With a monthly savings of up to 16 times that of a traditional personal trainer, the choice is obvious. But spots are limited, so hurry now. The first 15 clients will receive an additional 25% discount. The Warrior Path, serving those who serve. Head to www.thewarriorpathpro.com today. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. the show today we've got uh, myself rob gowan and i've got scott johnson matt scholard paul martinez and tom satterley so the gang's all here and what we're going to be talking about today is actually a post that matt scholard put on and many people follow him as special operator on instagram and i shared it both in our instagram post as well as on facebook and it's uh, a post with matt you've been in a helicopter and uh, an ied was placed by the individual patient that you're working on at that time frame. And uh, he had killed two little kids and critically injured three others. And they were your patients as well. You uh, treated the survivors, massive multiple system, multi-system trauma, amputations, severe bleeding, and uh, grotesque injuries that cannot be comprehended nor associated with innocent children. He survived the shooting and several hundred pounds of explosives and IED components were found in the back of his vehicle. Because he was still alive, he was detained, and you were called to extract him and stabilize him for interrogation. And, uh, you know, you started working on him, and I can, I'll let you tell a little bit more of the story, but what really brought up this episode was around the comments made by individuals who read your posts and just your description of how you worked on this patient and how he he had this hatred in his eyes and everything while you were doing it, but yet... You showed the compassion and, and did your job as you were supposed to do it. But people felt like you shouldn't have done that. So maybe, maybe you can kind of share a little bit about that story that day and, and uh, you know, how you reacted to some of the comments that you saw there on that post. Yeah, for sure. So the the way that all came about, this is during the, you know, the big Hearts and Minds campaign where at any time there was you know, collateral injuries or damage, the coalition forces were basically tasked with with recovery, with providing medical care, with providing safety and security. And the day before that picture was taken, there was a group of little kids who were playing in their village and the IED had detonated. And instantly it, it ripped two of the kids completely in half. And basically, like I wrote in the post, it turned their bodies into projectiles, which then coupled with you know the ball bearings and all the shrapnel that was inside of the IED, critically injured these three other kids. So uh, at the time, that particular combat outpost was uh, a British, British controlled, and they called in uh, a, a medevac, a Kazavac, and, and we came in and recovered, recovered the kids. So here it is, broad daylight. I have you know two kids who are who were killed instantly, and then three, critically injured, multi-systems trauma, like I wrote uh, in the post. So, and I have about 30 minutes with with these three kids. My my teammate and I spend 30 minutes on this flight, basically trying to, to salvage any signs of life that we can. And you have to put aside like your own, you know, I, I had children who were that age at the time. So it's like I had to put them aside and actually just completely focus on this task, which was saving those three kids' lives. And you know, anybody experienced trauma doctors, anybody will always explain that working on kids is always the most difficult, regardless if you're seasoned combat veteran, um, pediatrician, it doesn't matter. Like kids are the complete innocent in the world and they should never be caught in the crossfire, never be collateral damage. So the very next day, roughly around the same time, there was uh, a bit of uproar in the village with, 
you know, the, uh, these two kids being killed and these other three um, suffering these severe and grotesque, grotesque traumatic injuries. And they had identified who actually it was in the village. They basically, you know, came forward and, and told the, uh, the coalition forces who it was. Um, and in an attempt to flee, this guy jumped in his, uh, his car and, and, and took off out of town. It was, you know, just outside of Marja, Afghanistan. I'm not sure where he was headed, but he basically blew through a checkpoint. Now, because he blew through the checkpoint, you know, the rules of engagement at the time where they were cleared hot to, to engage. So they, uh, they engaged his vehicle. He was hit multiple times, but he survived. And the, the British rules of engagement at the time, you know, all different units have different rules of engagement. And he ended up surviving. And we were then called per the Hearts and Minds campaign to come in and extract uh, th- this guy. So we pulled him out with along with, you know, several hundred pounds of ex- ID uh, and explosive components in his back, in the back of his trunk, you know, pressure plate IDs and fertilizer and, you know, blasting charges and all the sorts. And, uh, this guy was basically clinging to life, and I had the same thirty-minute flight with him that I did with the, you know, the the three girls from the day before. And because I was a parascuman, because I was a medic, because that was my my mission that I was tasked with the, at that time, I had to treat him, regardless if he's a known enemy, regardless if he's, you know, expectant. My mission at that moment was to treat this guy. Um, so I did. I, I treated him like I would anybody else. You know, he got immediate life threats taken care of. He got, you know, patient comfort and care. And I treated him to the best of my ability. Because in that moment, just like I had to put aside my own personal desires and comforts to treat the three casualties he caused the day before, he was now my patient. And he deserved what I had to, to offer, which was the opportunity to preserve life and treat his injuries. And, uh, you know, we can get deeper into the, into the specifics of, of how it unfolded. But when I, when I did share that post and, um, you know, the, the amount of, of, of support for, Hey, you did the right thing. That was incredible. Was, was pretty profound. But like you and I spoke about, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of criticism for it. Absolutely. Like, you know, everybody sits back in the comfort of their own homes and Quarterback. armchair, armchair, yeah. P, armchair PJs from the other side of the world. And, you know, oh, I would have, you know, put a, put my bullet in his, put a gun in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of the, uh, the anonymity of the internet and you have that luxury. But the reality is, is that until you're in that position, until you're in, you know, that expectation is on your shoulders, I don't think it's fair to uh, to really say what you would or you wouldn't have done, especially as it relates to, you know, most, I guarantee you everybody here who was, or not everybody here, but, you know, uh, the majority of the people in the comments could never even fathom being in those experiences, let alone the, you know, the the scenario leading up to it. So to to sit there and to, to offer your what you would have done was uh, entertaining to say the least. So I say, if you want to ask how it impacted me, it was, it was basically, uh, it was good for, for comic value, but it also, in my opinion, reinforced that I did what well, I did the right thing. And I believe, and I stand by what I did because I was doing what I was tasked to do. I was following my mission and uh, I maintained my humanity in that. So well, I mean, in a combat situation like that, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look for the right. We're not supposed to be out there because of the a war type of environment that you're. It's a free for all. It's a green light to do whatever you want. Those are called war crimes. I mean, that that's absolutely it's it's murder. You know, if you go out there and you go kill somebody uh, for the sake of just going and killing somebody, and that's what I found that was most ridiculous. And I know, Paul, you and I talked about this, especially as it relates to you being a sniper and having to identify the target and the, the exercise that you go through in milliseconds before you squeeze the trigger yeah absolutely we get the same armchair quarterbacks you know you'll you'll say hey i was on this sniper mission and i shot this guy three times and they say oh why didn't you shoot him once in the head or why didn't you do this and that or you know it's not that simple these are real people you know this is reality it's not like the war movies where you know you do your little hero thing and then you turn off the tv after two hours and it's done you know like we're gonna we could encounter some of the people that we encountered over there in our everyday lives you know that country's still gonna be there when we're old men and people you know they were bringing up nazis on war crimes for years and years you know what i mean like the history's not written yet and i think that you know that's of the utmost importance to conduct yourself with integrity and compassion and always look for what would where's the humanity in this situation 
Yeah, and Tom, you brought up a recent article that was shared on Facebook about an incident that happened over the, I guess it was the last week or last few days, actually. And even prior to this, I mean, we already know that there's a Navy SEAL as well as a Green Beret that are being brought up on charges that um, at least they're going to be doing an investigation on them as to what their actions were and what they have done. Uh, but there was a recent incident where a bunch of hotheads, uh, you know, may have uh, taken a life and they're investigating that as well. Yeah, I think uh, you got two kinds of people out there. Well, two main kinds, those who talk shit and are full of it. You know, I would have thrown them out of the helicopter. You know, those guys probably never killed anybody. You know, they're, they're the ones that don't think it's real. Um, and then there's those that actually commit war crimes and lose their mind and have that godlike mentality. Um, they even take it out on their own, you know, the friendlies, their own side, which is uh, complete and utter ridiculousness, if you ask me. They, for for Marines and some SEALs to beat up a Green Beret, for a Green Beret to kill a SEAL, you know, whatever that, what are those most recent ones, you know, and then the guy's smuggling drugs. I mean, there's PTS out there and people are acting out with it, but uh, morality doesn't stop, in my my opinion. It never ends. And that's why we're supposedly the good guys, aren't we? But you can't you can't tell these foreigners, if you will, we're foreigners when we're over there. So um, we're foreign to their country that you have to live by our rules. Who are we? I mean, they were raised from babies on up to hate us. So honestly, we're the same way to them. You know, we were raised to not like them for whatever reason. And unless you can stop that and make the right decision based on your morals and your values and beliefs, then then we've lost altogether. Like you said, it's, it's murder. It, it could be so easy when you're caught up in the moment of, um, you know, your adrenaline's going and everything else to make the wrong decision. Um, it, it, you know, it's one of those things that you actually have to think about and be consciously aware of at all times so that you don't do the wrong thing. Uh, and I think that's what's supposed to separate our military service from other countries, um, you know, is that we do take that time to assess the situation, uh, to understand, to have compassion, you know, those types of things. At least that's what I thought was part of the training. So, again, I was shocked that even some of the individuals that were posting on the uh, the Instagram were actually active military service members. Those are the full of shit group. Um I mean, even look at it society nowadays. We're already depicted as the bad guys. I didn't notice this till my wife told me to start paying attention to the war movies that I was watching yeah. and take me back in the past. Military depicted as the overbearing, mean guys who take over in a situation. The earthquake. Okay, the military guy steps up and he's he's raping women and he's killing people. And he's you know he's got the godlike mentality. I'm like, we're the bad guys to the civilians. So even in the movies nowadays with with uh, bin Laden, right, the SEALs go in and kill bin Laden, you know, other than crashing the helicopter and then whispering in the house like nobody's there. They literally murdered bin Laden on TV. Right. They murdered him on TV. They depicted that as that's cool. You know, so you get past the funny stuff of them whispering after crashing outside and blowing a hole through the wall like they're sneaking up on something. Um, it's all Hollywood, but they're depicting us as those with with no morality. So we have to really step it up. And, you know, work on a higher playing field, really, to get our name back. I think they're not only doing it in that case, but they're also doing it in the case of post-traumatic stress. I mean, we've seen several movies that came out that depict uh, military as being what you just described, Tom, or the opposite are those individuals that can immediately snap and you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, so, I mean, it's not a positive role that they're playing out there. It's... Uh, you know, it's one of those things I think that happens on every combat situation. I can remember the the movies that came out post Vietnam that kind of displayed, you know, the Vietnam War and and how those uh, those brave warriors were at that time frame. And and it wasn't always the the most pleasant type of movies and those types of situations as well. I think there's an interesting distinction to be made. You know, you bring up Vietnam, and you know, like most guys my age like the vietnam movies you know we all grew up on that stuff but that means we saw stuff like you know the miley massacre and the the rapes and the stuff like that we knew that you know you would go to jail or you'd go to the vietnam or you you know weren't in college didn't have you know a rich family so you, you weren't important you go to vietnam and we changed our whole recruiting practice and i think that you know it's important to, to celebrate your victories in that sense we're not sending criminals overseas anymore and it's for a reason you know it's so that we don't have village massacres and we don't have rapists and you know i think it's important to to emphasize and highlight the integrity um and the morality that that is 
so imperative to our mission now, you know, and I think that's evidenced in the lack of war crimes and atrocities and things like that that have happened, you know. And people on the sidelines, they don't realize that this isn't a war like we had with Germany where you, you go in and you kill them all, you know, or you go in and you shoot all the guys with the blue jackets on because we're in the red jackets or whatever. You know, these people are, they're not card-carrying members. It's not like LA Fitness. You go and you sign up and you've got, you know, your card-carrying Taliban. You might be, you know, a guy that's got an AK-47 today and is helping out. And you might be a normal guy 364 days the rest of the year. You know, I mean, it's it's a messy, mucked up situation. So, you know, you kill the guy with the AK-47 on the day he's being a bad guy, you're a hero. You kill him the next day because you recognized him from yesterday, you're a murderer. You know, and it seems fucked up, but we have to walk that line or we're like them. Then we are the guys that they depict in the movies. Yeah. Great way of describing it. You're completely right, Paulie. You know, it, it's, it's what sets us apart from them. And... The, the, the global war on terror since 2001 is it's a blurred set of lines like you just said there's us as the professional military and then there's them as a terrorist force and you know that's that's been going on for 16 years now but for us in the uk we, we had 30 years before that as well with northern ireland where the lines were blurred with who is the enemy and what they can do because they don't adhere to a set of rules, you know, and they put in bombs in city centres in Manchester, in in Brighton, in hotels, uh, Omar, where they're blowing up, um, I think it was 26 people killed and, and, you know, kids just out shopping on a Saturday morning. And the professionalism is what sets us apart. And like Matt's story there of fulfilling his role at that time, was a medic. He wasn't there to kick down doors at that time. He was there to fulfill a role as a medic and professionally to the best of your your ability carrying out that role is what sets us apart from the enemy. They're they're a terrorist force. They're unprofessional. They don't give a fuck who gets hurt in the way of it, but we aren't that. We'll do we'll do what we need to do when we need to do it, but we'll adhere to a set of rules and that differentiates us in civilization as a whole of where we stand as a, a better civilized um, group of human beings compared to what they are. And there's no two other ways about it. You know, they don't give a fuck whether it's five kids being shredded by a bomb or whether they're hacking somebody's head off with a, a, a rusty machete. They don't give a fuck, you know, but we'll hold ourselves to a higher standard that, than that and adhere to a set of rules. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned Northern Ireland because aren't you guys going through some of the same things with atrocities or or at least there are being presented as atrocities that occurred within Northern Ireland to some of your British forces? Yeah, it's it's been going on for a, f- a few years now for Northern Ireland, also for Iraq. And uh, we touched on it with, uh, with, with Paul's um, first show as well when Paul came on as a guest and, you know, Paul's 100% right in what he's saying in that episode and where you've got to process through your mind that decision-making, am I right to take this shot or not? Because potentially there's a follow-up to that. Because we adhere to a set of rules, there can be a comeback on that, whether you was right or wrong. You can't take that bullet back once it's left the barrel of um, your weapon. So you've got to be clear in your mind what the process is and there's, there's been several cases of it um there was um a guy held in um uh parliamentary debate this week who was a lawyer uh, owned um uh, a law firm and he was actively chasing military um basically made himself 11 million pounds out of the process and he was he was basically caught saying it didn't matter on the outcome. He was getting paid for the legal process of it. And he didn't care whether he was putting people through hell because they were genuinely innocent. He just wanted to make money off the back of, like an ambulance chaser, we'd labelled them in the UK, tank chasers now. 
you know, because they're just following, right, well, I'll get a known enemy combatant. Have you ever had anything bad done to you by uh, a member of the British military? Oh, yeah, these guys, they, you know, they come in and kick my uh, door in and they beat me up and they, 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 they abuse the kids and the wife and whatever it may be. I just made up all these shit stories and the lawyers were taking their word as a known enemy combatant over the word of a, a professional military force, you know, that documents things. When you when you take somebody and capture them, there's a documentation process. We're not just setting, you know, throwing a set of plastic cuffs on them and, and bundling them in the back of the Land Rover and being done with it, and they you know sitting under a a bag over their head in in the back of the field. There's there's a process to be adhered to, and you get booked in and you get checked through, and paperwork is is started, and and you know interviews and statements and all those things as a normal police force would do in a, in a civilized country at the time we take those rules with us and they were ignoring those documentation and those facts and just going off over well, this guy has said this so we're going to take you to court now and we're going to try you for basically for war crimes and it's just complete insanity and it's it's been going on for years and years and years and the government in the uk needs to get its act together because Publicly, they keep saying we, we don't agree with it, yet they aren't doing anything to stop it. You know, if you don't agree with something, put your fucking foot down and say that isn't right what you're doing. You will not do that anymore. And they're just not doing that. And it's, you know, and some of these guys, Northern Ireland, this is 30 years ago these things happened. They, they're 60, 70 year old guys now. And, you know, it's, they got medical conditions and all the problems that comes with, with age potentially and things. And it's it's just doing none of them any good. And I think there's been a couple of cases of guys who've who've died from heart attacks and things. And people have suggested, well, that's linked then to the extra stress now that you're going through and the worry and all those things. And it's just wrong, completely wrong. And But that comes back then to the need for us to uphold ourselves to the higher standard and have sets of rules whenever we go to these places, Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, Africa, whatever it may be. Otherwise, we're just the same. We're just a, a mercenary force, and, you know, we're no better than them. You wouldn't think at the moment, at that moment that there would be a witch hunt, you know, you know, later on in your life. Well, That's we break our rules down, um, even so far, if you're doing a raid or an ambush, you can kill on the way across. But once you cross a certain line, you can't come back and do it. Again, you can't do that. You you get one chance at it. You know, it's part of the raid or part of the ambush. That's it. Once you come back and if they're alive, that's it. You treat them. You have to treat everybody. And and it, it goes back to, as far as anyone can remember in war, if you treat your prisoners of work right, then they're more apt to give up versus fight to the death because they think you're going to torture them or just assassinate them anyway. Well, they, so, show, they show in the movies, though, Tom, where they come back through and they find anybody living, they go ahead and kill them as well to make sure they're good and dead. And there you have it, right? Yeah. There you have, we just walk around and shoot anybody we want because that's who we are. <laughs> and then we wonder why we get out and people stare at us funny, you know? Right. Um, it, it's leaders like us that have to break that that mold. If we if we give into it and, and laugh on even on Facebook and agree, yeah, you know, that's funny. We should throw them out of the helicopter. Even though that's a funny joke and you want to, you know, it goes through your head like, I'd love to chuck this guy out of the helicopter or shoot him in the face. That all briefs well and it sounds like you're tough, but you're, I mean, you're not. Really, you're going to live with that the rest of your life. And by the way, you're wrong. You're way wrong. You know, it all sounds cool to the kids. But if we don't stand up and say it's wrong, it's like cheating on your wife and this and that. I mean, you stand around a group of guys are picking up girls in the bar and everything. Yeah, you look the other way or it's cool. It's celebrated. You know, I mean, until you, we stand up and start saying that's wrong, then it's OK to be immoral because everyone agrees with it. And then on the other side of this, Matt, you received some uh, outpouring that uh, from in direct messages from individuals that actually shared some of their own ethical dilemma situations um, and, and approached this from a different perspective. And I'm curious if you could share a few of those. Yeah, it was really great, actually, to to share that and then to sort of open the gate for other people who had similar experiences to feel comfortable to, you know, to want to come back and share um, a few that stood out to as, as pretty profound were, uh, there was one guy who, who shared a message that he was at a combat outpost and, uh, they started receiving indirect and, and mortar fire and they took a direct hit on, on one of the hooches and, you know, suffered some pretty severe injuries. And this guy was, was the medic, uh, at the combat outpost and he was running around, you know, treating everybody immediate life threats, basically running a mass casualty on his own while he was waiting for, you know, for Exfil and for Kazavak. And, uh, the the um, security at the combat outpost found the guy who was 
outside, you know, launching these mortars and they engaged him. He unfortunately did not succumb to his injuries. So they brought him in and he was part of the mass casualty. So here's this medic with, you know, I think he said something like eight uh, cat alphas or multi-systems trauma patients. And then the ninth patient is the guy who's standing outside launching the mortars over. Now, I think there's, there's something, you know, there's, when you're a medic, see, I mean, I was a pararescue man. I was a combatant first and then a medic secondary. You know, my, my job was personnel recovery. I was basically uh, a paramedic as a, as a skill. It wasn't necessarily my primary trade. Um, there's a special place in, in my heart for, for just medics. You know, either you're a Navy corpsman or you're a, a, an Army just medic, not an 18 Delta, where your main mission, your only mission is to preserve life. And I think... There is a just a, a slightly different filter for medics on the way that they view human life. Anytime you are either a direct combatant or a medic, you appreciate the how fragile human life actually is and how a delicate of a balance it is that we are actually existing in the first place. Now, either as a combatant, how quickly you can take the life, or as a medic, how little intervention it takes for you to actually preserve that person's life. So when you're a medic and you have the opportunity to to do something as simple as, you know, occluding a blood vessel that's hemorrhaging or open an airway or administer a drug that's going to keep that person alive until they can reach, you know, definitive care, there you you don't take that lightly. You you find yourself like you see how fragile human life can be and at that point the playing field is level. It doesn't matter if you're uh, you know, a, a task force assaulter or you're a bad guy, you are still a living human being. And in those moments of extreme vulnerability, that it just it touches something deep within our own humanity that is primitive. You know, we we have the capacity to kill. Obviously, we kill very, very frequently. But all of us at some point were, you know, we were influenced by the world around us. We were young, we were vulnerable, we saw beauty around us, we saw like how exciting and wonderful the world could be. And when you're, you know, in those positions where you're holding life and death in your hands, you tend, from my experience, those always tend to gravitate towards the life portion. And it's like, it's not, it's not in this moment that I decide this person lives or dies. They have survived whatever it is that has brought them to this point. So now I, I'll, I'll treat them the best that I can. So uh, a lot of the, the experiences that, that people were describing were really similar, you know, uh, and sort of like Paul mentioned earlier, where the day before he was just a farmer in the field. And because some guy came in and laid an ID and took over his house, now he's pissed off at the Americans. He's pissed off at the Brits. He's pissed off at ISAF. So how does he retaliate? He retaliates in the only way that he knows how to. He picks up his AK that he's had for the last 30 years and he files a couple warning shots outside because he's pissed off. Then he gets engaged, and now this guy's clinging to life. And it's like Paul said, is he, is he a good guy today, or is he a bad guy? Or is he just a human who now we have the opportunity to treat, save his life, and then let somebody else deal with him? In those moments, that's not for me to decide. That's not for anybody to decide, but I have a mission. My mission is to preserve life, aid the injured, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what a lot of these uh, these medics and these corpsmen who are sharing these stories with me, it's like they they they, they struggle with it after the fact. And they, they would have struggled more if they didn't do something. And I think that's where knowing that, knowing that about yourself, having that awareness, having the ability to go back and reflect, be like, I would have had more regret had I not treated this person versus if I, you know, if I had done something to, to make a decision otherwise. And, and we're cops, really, aren't we? I mean, I, people hate it. We're, we're, we're police officers. We don't make those legal decisions. We stop them doing what they're doing wrong. And then someone else judges them. It's not up to us to do that because they want you to remove the emotion from it. Cops would probably kill more people on the street because they're losers. They beat their kids half to death and they're on drugs. And they sure everybody wants them gone. You know, you think, but that's someone else's job. You remove the the emotion from it. You, you someone else outside of that event can do the judgment because I know what decisions most people would make. You know, throw him out of the helicopter. You know, and then once you do that, once you cross that line, there's, there's no crossing back over. Yeah. I mean, judge and jury, you're, you're, you know, that's what I think a lot of people are trying to become here. Well, it's sort of a, it's diminishing returns as well. You know, you look at like Vietnam, I, I always go back to Vietnam because I think it's so important, but you know, I was watching this documentary, the Ken Burns one, and you know, I can't remember who it was, but they're saying, you know, we kill, uh, you kill the right guy, you kill the bad guy. And 
that's great. There's one one bad guy dead. You kill the wrong guy, you've created 10 more enemies. And I think we all saw that in Afghanistan and Iraq as well. You know, you go into a village, they're sort of on the fence. They don't like the interference of the Taliban. You know, if you get too heavy-handed, you start, you know, ruffling too many feathers. All of a sudden, that village is completely hostile, you know, or God forbid, you know, you, you kill the wrong guy on a raid or something like that because that does happen. And, that, you know, they've turned against you. So now instead of a couple guys in the village, it's a whole village. So, you know, you throw one guy out of a helicopter, he's going to land in somebody's field, they're going to find him. And it's just a, a, an Afghan that fell out of another helicopter and the Americans are bad guys. And that's what the people who find that body are going to think because they don't know the backstory. You know, they don't, they don't know anything but what's in front of them. So... You know, it's not effective to our winning strategy either to just kill them all or turn it to glass or whatever, you know. I mean, if that's what, <laughs> if we just want a lake of glass, then we would have a lake of glass, but we that's not going to accomplish anything. It's like bomb them into the Stone Age, right? Where they, yeah, they, they already they already live there. They don't care. Right. I mean, yeah. if, if you don't cross that line and you know you're, you're making moral decisions, then when you make a mistake, because there are mistakes or there are, I guess, accidents. So... You can live with it better. You know, we, we were milling around these houses looking for a signal, bouncing around in the early days when we weren't very good at it. And, you know, over this side of the street, this side of the street. So we're making noise. We're hitting houses and houses. And we go to one, and I'm, I'm entering through the garage side. There's a team entering through the front. And there's a guy in front of me. And as soon as we enter, I look up, and there's a set of stairs right in front of me. And there's a, there's a kid on the stairs with an AK aiming at the front door. I know what's going on. I know what he's aiming at. You know, the guy in front of me drops him. I'm sure he thought about it. You know, 10, 12 year old kid, who knows, heard us coming up, defending his own home. Right. Because there was nothing in that house. And, uh, you know, shoot him. He runs upstairs, slams the door. By the time we got up there, he was dead. It was just it was that, you know, those type of rounds. That guy made the exact right decision. Right. He doesn't have time to think back. Well, we made noise. He might be defending that kid's going to shoot. So it's now it's them or us. He could live with that. Now, does it destroy him every day? Yeah, certainly does. You know, 20 some uh, 10, 15 years later. Yeah. But he can live with it better knowing that he did everything correctly and he didn't live that way, you know, on a daily basis. Because you will make mistakes or there will be accidents in war as well. There was a film crew that uh, actually came to myself, and I think Paul may have came to you as well, uh, a couple years back on a film, private film called Do No Harm. And in that film, it was basically a ethical dilemma situation where it was a Marine transportation unit um, that came under fire and they came into um, a house and uh, the gunny sergeant was actually hurt and injured and everything bleeding out. And there was a another Marine that was trying to aid that individual and provide comfort and stuff while they were bleeding out laying on the floor was a couple civilians that had been caught, unfortunately through the fires uh, that had taken place when this transportation unit was hit. And a young boy comes into the house and um, sees his mother laying there dead on the floor and assumes that these two Marines are the reasons why his parents have been killed. And so he has a weapon and he picks it up. And at that moment, that Marine has to make a decision. And that's almost where the movie really ends. And it's more about just what we're talking about here. What would you do in this type of situation? And understanding that, like you say, Tom, you're going to have to live with this decision. And at that moment, you do have to play kind of judge and jury. You've got to make the right moral, ethical decision. It's these types of things that need to be talked about a lot more as leaders to their soldiers, to their you know sailors, airmen, and, and Marines, so that we can help people understand that you can't just throw that individual out of the, the aircraft. You know, there was a period of time, roughly around the same as that event, where the um, the the Kazavak and the the exfil and the medical platforms were being targeted, and one of the ways, especially with the Hearts and Mind campaign, that the uh, you know the insurgents or the bad guys figured that they could gain access to the uh, the medical helicopters was to become patients themselves. But they didn't want to become a patient, so what they would do is they would go into a house, uh, they would you know typically kill the family, and they would find a, a young kid, a young boy or a girl, and they would critically injure that child to the mm. point where they could blame they could blame ISAF. And then this uh, 
person would be either an uncle, a neighbor, or some concerned caretaker, and they would try to escort this child who they injured, and they would blame it on the coalition. So there were a few there were a few uh, circumstances that got that got kind of filtered through. I had my own experience with one um, where basically you know you know that this man who is claiming to be this child's caretaker is the one who caused that injury, who caused that illness, or, or who caused this, you know, like, for example, you know, a lot of stab wounds or, uh, you know, penetrating trauma. Maybe they shoot him in the leg. So here's this child who is injured and suffering. And here's this man who caused this injury and suffering. And you know that he's the cause for it. But because of our our rules of engagement, you can't, you can't engage. You can't, you can't separate the two. You have to perform your task and your duty. Uh, and only when this, you know, this Intel started to get filtered down, did we stop allowing escorts and, you know, stop allowing these things on the, on, uh, on our aircraft. But just knowing that it's like Scott mentioned earlier, where they don't give a fuck, not only do they not give a fuck, but they exploit our ability to give a fuck because we care, because we have this higher value for human life. It's now being exploited. So we're left with these decisions, like like Tom and Paul mentioned. It's like, do we do, what do we focus on? We make the best decisions we can, but we're going to make mistakes. But as long as we go into the scenario with our humanity intact, hopefully that's how we emerge from that scenario. Does it kill us? And do we think about it every day? Absolutely. But that's for that's for us to deal with on our own, rather than make the wrong decisions that we know we did something we would have regretted later on in life. So. I agree. I think it's important to to bring up the point, and maybe you guys disagree with me, but you know, when you think about war, we think about it in the classical sense. You know, it's us versus Nazis. It's good guys versus the bad guys, and you go out and you kill them all. But, and I think that we don't. It's not at the forefront of everybody's thought because this is so new, and war is so cutting edge. Um, always, war isn't about winning anymore. We don't want to go and win territory. We don't want to hold ground. Um, it's not even about how many people you can kill. It's more about how many people you don't have to kill, um, how many resources you don't have to expend. And, uh, you know, I think that at a very, very high level in our administration, they're still figuring that out. You know, I mean, why, why wouldn't they still be figuring that out? But I think it hasn't trickled down to, to the layperson either yet. You know, like they think, oh, you join the army, they give you an M16, they teach you how to kill and you're, they cut you loose. Like, it's not true. You might spend the whole war being a dental hygienist. You might spend the whole war, you know being a supply guy, you might go overseas six to a dozen times and not see any direct combat and never pull the trigger and never get into a fight. Still a soldier, you know, and most of the army, most of the military is doing those things. So the, the, the nature of war, the fabric of war and the shape of it has completely changed. And I think that, you know, we haven't adjusted yet. We saw that stone age mentality of us versus them. And that's not the case anymore. So, you know, not adhering to those morals and not Following the ROE to the letter means when you have to make a questionable decision to preserve life or to take life, you know, it's not fully your responsibility. They told you what to do and you did it. The situation met the criteria and you executed. So when you put your head on the pillow, you know, you're, you're responsible for your portion and then you're, you know, everybody else is collectively responsible for the rest. At least that's the way I feel about it. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. That's an interesting perspective that I haven't really given much thought to till now. But, uh, you know, when you think about past previous wars, there was more about occupation uh, of the land that you were taking over. And since then, I mean, we had no desire in Vietnam, in Korea, in um, Iraq and Afghanistan really to keep a foothold on that property and, and occupy that space for a period of time other than to, to ensure that those militants or those terrorists didn't come back in and cause the same issues that were there before uh, beforehand. There's been so much advancements that's been made within the Afghanistan uh, community, within schools and everything else that they, they don't want to see that revert back to the Stone Age all over again. I mean, they were an advanced people that went back to the Stone Age that is now starting to progress forward. The last thing they want to do is revert back to it again in a vicious cycle. And so it's a different type of occupation. But I think what you bring up in the true sense of war, of how everybody has been brought up of what war means I can totally see that. Actually, it makes it harder, doesn't it? Because then you have to realize, to your point, Tom, that you're more of a police force. Yeah, the cool guys don't want to admit that because it sounds horrible. You know, we're not the world's police force, blah, blah. Yeah, we operate under those same rules. We're not allowed to be the judge. I mean, you're given a set of rules to follow, and all you're doing is sticking within those rules, just like cops are. You know, you can protect your life. You know, you can protect property. You can protect someone else's life, but you can't murder. You can't judge him and say, well, he is the suicide 
bomb. You know, well, he wouldn't be that, but he is the bomber. He is the guy doing this. I'm going to go ahead and kill him because, well, they're just going to let him go anyway if he's not that bad. We went through a lot of catch and release in Iraq. Didn't like it. You know, I dropped a lot of people off across that bridge and let them go. And literally rolled up one guy. When I got right back to the MSS, we launched on another hit and rolled that guy up as he rolled in in his cab that I gave him money that he got into and left. And, and he was rolling back up onto the same target we hit again. I grabbed his money, didn't even pay the cab driver, put him back on the bird and brought him back again. So guys get tired of catch and release and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to kill more guys. This, they don't they don't because you can't, but that thought goes through there. And if you project that out to other people, the young kids grab a hold of it and they think it's normal and maybe they do it, you know. You've got, it's usually the younger kids, the, the group of Marines that got hit and then they went in and killed a bunch of people in the village and maybe near the dam or something, you know, um, Haditha Dam or something. I don't remember where that was, but those Marines went in and went into the town and killed some, at least that was the the charge but they got hit and they went in and you know supposedly killed other people they were angry they were young you know making poor decisions leadership has to stop that the leadership has to let it be known you know we try people i mean we've got a green beret up up for murder now don't we yeah um in a navy seal uh, and i yeah. and i think it comes down to uh what you're describing there is where um, again, people are not thinking about that in its deeper sense. You can't be the judge and jury. I think there was a, even a special forces um, NCO who knew of a young boy who had been sodomized and wanted to be the judge and jury of the individual that was uh, doing that. Uh, and, and again, you can't be um, the mayor or the judge and everything of that community. That's not your responsibility, you know, and in command, I think at that incident, try to tell that individual not to try to take the law into their own hands. That's not their mission or objective, but it's easy to get caught up into that because you feel like in a war situation that you're trying to also take control. So let me throw something back at you guys. What about those individuals? And they tend to be more of a younger generation that view this type of thing. Well, then don't throw us into this combat situation. If you're, if you're going to tie our hands and not allow us to do what you're paying us to do, which is kill bad guys. It, well, that's it. Yes, kill bad guys if they're a threat. If they have a weapon, or anything in their hand, that's the first thing you look at. Are hands? You know, uh, look at hands. Nothing in his hands. Okay, I can handle this differently. I can still take him out of the fight without killing him. I can get more information from them. That I might be wrong. They might just be defending their home. You know, if a guy drops a gun, that's a quick decision right there. You know, guy gives up and drops a gun. That's a quick decision to make. But. He might have been defending his home and realized that you were an American. Oh, I don't want to kill an American. Now you killed him. The whole family must be good. Or or he changed his mind, and now he might give you a bunch of intelligence, which is which will drive you further down the road. It's more than just killing people. It's winning in a bigger picture. And you can't win in a bigger picture by murder. It never works out. It's not worked out for any military in any country ever. Sort of like Paul mentioned earlier that – I brought up on certain movies I, I know for me personally like platoon was a really influential one where it's like you see this direct combat and you see this ethical and moral dilemma between two sides of the fight the guys who you know who give a shit about the team who care about preserving life and then you have the guys who just want to go in and drop napalm and murder and it's it's i think the military does a good job with giving specific tasks specific missions to different skill sets um and it's when people try to branch outside of their their scope and their little slice of uh, of of responsibility within that that you could have those types of mentality. Well, I'm I'm an uh, infantry paratrooper. My job is is only to kill. And it's like they they can't wrap their mind around the bigger picture. And that comes with being young and naive. We were all there at one point. We were all young and and knew that we you know knew everything. And as you get older, you get a little more wisdom, a little more maturity, a little more life experience. You can start to kind of peel back your level of responsibility and your contribution to humanity, and realize that maybe you could participate in a bigger picture. And I think it's it's amazing that you know guys like all of us now are taking all of our experiences in combat and we're applying them and we're using them for uh, a catalyst for change for good you know we're we're not allowing these experiences that we've been through these you know traumatic events or things that we regret or things that we look back on that you know we consider our traumas we're now using them to learn from and to teach others from and that's something that I wish that I was exposed to, you know, at a, at a younger age, especially as a young, a young, uh, young PJ, young military member. You know, we didn't. The guys who raised me didn't have this type of direct combat that we have now, or the guys that we've been doing. But all of us have 
gone through those fires. We've been forged in those battles and we can take all those lessons and that wisdom and pass that on to the younger generation and help them to see something bigger than just, you know, they have a, they have a trigger and uh, a job to do. We can, you know, impart this wisdom and mentorship on them so that they can see, you know, what, what their responsibility could be and the the positive contribution they could make. And sometimes you're a wuss for being a leader like that. The young kids don't yeah. want to hear it. You know, if you if you have kids, you know they don't listen to you anyway. But the younger generation doesn't listen, so you're a wuss. Oh, you're just afraid you lost your nerve, or you're just an old man now, right? Okay. Yeah, we do need the young, crazy kids to come up and do the things that nobody really wants to do, like, you know, rush a bunker that's being, you know, shooting at you or cross the street where there's bullets flying both ways. We, we, you know, we were all there. But you need the leaders. And, and the young generation needs to hear it from the leaders that that's not what we do. There are rules along the way for that. And that's not what we do. You know, we can't be murderers. It's just it's just not who we are. And if you're a murderer, you're wrong. I mean, you're completely and utterly wrong and it's illegal. No other way to look at it. I think that that's that's exactly right. You know, I think it is important to let people know, like policing and soldiering are sort of merging together. You know, I mean, they're using our the police are using our equipment over here. We're using their techniques over there. We're sharing intelligence back and forth um, globally. You know, military is sharing uh, information with police on a level that we haven't seen since before 9-11 or uh, prior to 9-11. So, you know, the two worlds are sort of merging. I kind of wonder, will there ever be a big ground war again? Will there ever be a war even on the scale of Iraq again? Would it ever be necessary? You know, I mean, there's stuff happening, you know, in Russia and stuff. But, you know, Everyone knows, knows they'll lose with us. Nobody wants to go to war with us that way. They'll lose. We'll send the Air Force in for a few few months, and then maybe yep. they'll send some other things in. You know, we'll launch some missiles from a ship, and then and then maybe troops, yeah. but not not in massive forms because they'll just lose. The difficult thing yeah. is to find who the, the secret guys are running around doing all the damage and get them. That's the hard part. Yeah, I think the uh, the real catch here too, though, and responsibility will be on the government or on the judicial system, Scott, to make sure that if we're doing our part, then that there is a is a due process that takes place and that um, they actually don't go on a witch hunt, but they actually do the responsibility in the investigation to make sure that it's true without discarding information and assuming that one part or the other must be uh, correct. And that's the whole due process that we're supposed to be allowed to go through. That That's also becoming political, just with social media. Yes. Let that Green Beret go. He should have killed that suicide bomber. I mean, honestly, if it happened the way that some people say it's happened, it was wrong. You know, if you're in custody, then the, even even on the battlefield, it's our job to protect the detainees because now they're they're under our control and they're in our you know under our guard. We have to protect their life. So social media will jump out. You can't try a hero. He's a hero. Uh, well, why? What do he do that makes him a hero? Really? He's a Green Beret. So he's a hero now, instantly. Come on. You know, I mean, it's another job that people do. You got a green brain now. Good job. Go on and do your, your job the way you're supposed to. Doesn't make you an instant hero. You know, it's it's literally your job. So social media jumps up and down. You, you know, in the news, you can't try the hero. Of course, Fox News, he's a hero. CNN, he's a murderer. You know, it's all political. Yeah. So you, you, you have to stick with the, the way the judicial system was supposed to be, even though it sucks to try our own people at time of war. We're at war. We can't try our own people. We should be. We should be. Whether the enemy follows our lead or not, they never will. But we should be doing what's right the entire time. And nobody wants to hear it. You know, nobody wants to hear it. But if we do that, then we give free reign to anybody else that might be holding back because fences keep honest people honest, you know. Locks on the doors keep the other honest people honest. Criminals, they just get in anyway, don't they? I mean, yeah. if you're really that intent on robbing somebody or whatever you're going to do, you're going to do yep. it. You're going to do it. Right. So anytime you lend a hand to somebody, whether it's mentally that it's okay to do that, then, you know, that might be the thing keeping them from doing it, you know? Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. You have so much power as a leader in the military um, over the decisions that are made beneath you, you know, and so much influence on the young guys. You absolutely have to follow your your protocol to the T's and it's going to protect you. You know, if you, if you go out on a mission or a training mission or whatever, you know, you're conducting yourself with that flag on your shoulder and they want to do an investigation after an incident or they want to, you know, make you have a sworn statement, do it. 
do it accurately and truthfully correctly because you know like tom said we should expect that of our justice system if you you know somebody says hey you committed a war crime you should expect to be called up onto the carpet to answer for it and you should hopefully be able to hold your head high and and without fear that you're going to be convicted of something that you did not do you know and it's because all these rules are in place to protect us you know they say oh you have to treat the the uh combatants that have been wounded you know even if they're enemy combatants well yeah that sucks i don't want to have to do that but at the end of the day you know what if we lose the war you know where does matthew end up if he chunks that guy out of the helicopter you know versus if he rendered aid to that guy i mean we still have stories about guys from world war ii who went out into no man's land and rendered aid to americans germans who did it you know and americans who did it for the germans and vice versa because at the end of the day you know we're fighting for humanity we're not fighting to take lives you know, that's not the point is just to exterminate somebody that's you know that ended in 1943 so well look at bosnia we're chasing war criminals i mean why do we chase war criminals and then it's okay for us to commit war crimes you can't even i just want to i know people are going to pipe in later and go well we can't do that you know uh, no look at both sides we're not always the good guys we have to play by the good guy rules to be the good guys we have to hold ourselves to the same standard we hold the world to well, we're not the good guys. You know, it, it's just, we can't let our own people off when yeah. we're chasing other people for doing the same thing. Who are we to even act that way, you know? So I just want to remove that ability for someone to come in and chime in about that later, too. You know, so <laughs> I like to cut people's legs off before they get to get running. So, Well, you know, and, and those individuals that do express that, uh, hey, that's wrong or whatever, they're not the traitor. They're not necessarily, don't look at them as the, the whistleblower, the bad guy and everything else. Because, again, we're all supposed to be held to those same standards and holding each other accountable every day. So uh, to that point, I mean, I think that's where it's a responsibility of the individuals to understand what's moral, what's not. Uh, what's immoral what what is murder versus what is being uh, requested of you as an individual as a soldier marine whatever and um, the same is true you know as a leader it's your responsibility to make sure each of your individuals understand what they're supposed to be doing what the rules of engagements are and uh, what what those differences mean uh, because it's not as Tom as you mentioned could just uh, affect you from a judicial part of it it's going to affect you in the rest of your the rest of your life in your head because uh, you're going to be running through this every day and, and trying to determine whether or not you made the right decision, you didn't make the right decision. You want to be able to sleep at night. Uh, and, uh, you know, that Paul, that's one of the things that you were describing there. It's that's it's a good thing that they asked you to actually make these records, because at that moment, while it was still fresh in your mind, you're able to recall all the incidents, exactly what happened and cover yourself so that you knew good and well that you did the right decision and you did exactly what they asked you to do. Um, and so that's that's really what a leader should be asking of their personnel all the time. It's interesting that you mention um, morals, uh, Robert, you know, because morals are subjective aren't they that's true you know what we hold as a set of morals other people don't and you know there's countries out there that think it's perfectly acceptable to stone a woman to death for being raped good point you know and that's their morals and they think that's right you know that's that's fine for us to do that so it comes back for me to that professionalism and and that's as the more civilized part of society to hold hold ourselves to that higher standard and Whilst we have a set of morals, the five of us are on on this right now, other people disagree with our morals, and, and they may think that they aren't high enough. They're too high. They're too harsh. They're they're too soft. Whatever it might be, and you know there isn't a global rule book for this is what's right. We're not in a society that 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 has that, you know. And heaven forbid we we come to that because that just takes away the humanity and the uniqueness of every single person and you know free will and all those things but it's it's it is subjective morals isn't it oh yeah and that's why we have like the status of forces agreements nobody wants to go to trial in some foreign country for something that's legal in america you know so we come up with these agreements with certain countries because we fear that how many people fear going to jail in a foreign country? You know, it's, it's, uh, oh, yeah, shit. It's real. It's not, it doesn't ever look fun on TV. So I would never want to do that. But yeah, we fall under their rules when we're in their country. We have to still maintain our rules because we're over there as a diplomat, if you will, for our own country. Still, you know, abiding by our rules, watching out for their rules. I mean, that's just what good moral people do. 
They yeah. do what's right. But but like you said, morals are subjective. So it's a slippery slope to start judging other countries on what they find legal and morally right because they've been raised that way since birth. Yeah. I didn't even think about it that way when I said it, Scott, but you're you're spot on. And that's probably what gets some people in trouble uh, because they want to play judge and jury because they believe it's immoral or um, something not like they were raised. But that's not the point here. You know, the point really is, what is the law? What is your country asking you to do? And are you living under those rules and guidelines or under the guidelines and rules of the country that you're in that you've assigned, uh, you know, you placed an agreement within? So, uh, yeah. So I, I think what we're really trying to state here is that, uh, you know, quit trying to be the keyboard warrior. Quit trying to be the uh, the individual who doesn't uh, doesn't have that type of level of experience in a combat situation where you had to make that ethical decision. Because if you did, you'd completely understand and you'd be compassionate towards all human uh, humans, and uh, that you have a job to do. and And if you do it in a way in which uh, you're supposed to do it, um, you know, then then you'd have nothing to worry about. But yet, uh, if you go over there and you do things that are wrong, then you're going to have to pay the consequences for it. Yeah, be be proud of your mission. Don't uh, you know the days of wearing ears on a necklace or uh, generations behind us? So, if you want to make a difference and be proud of your of your mission and your contribution, then you know keep that in the back of your mind. Let that be your guiding compass. That do you want to tell your kids stories thirty years from now of how you rose above the tyranny and how you didn't succumb to the bullshit and drop down to that level? Or do you want to show them your you know your box with the all your your check marks on it? You know, it's a uh, we can we can rise above that and ultimately stand proudly of our contributions and our participation in what is ultimately the most grotesque human behavior, right? Like war is basically the uh, the the absence of of all acceptance and love. So the way we participate in these, you know, we can do it with compassion. We can do it with with a level head and uh, and and look back on our on our service and our and our time and our experiences with 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 pride. My, my father recently died and taught me two things in his death. One, it's the first death I've ever witnessed that was pleasant, right? I mean, every every death I've witnessed in my life has been horrible, um, nasty, and with full of fear. My father's was was comfortable, and he just died in front of us, stopped breathing, and it was it was pleasant. Um, and that taught me that it, it can be pleasant. Death's not scary. People are afraid of death. And I've, I've never seen it that way. And that shaped me. And the other thing was um, he'd stopped drinking eight, ten years back, mainly for my mother. But um, he claimed he was an alcoholic, so he stopped drinking. Um, his last few days, when I was visiting him, I thought he was just sick. I didn't know he was going to die. Us kids were trying to get him like we're going to get him a beer. He's never going home again. He's, he's, he's going to be in the hospital till he dies. Let's get him a beer. And we kept joking about it. But then at his memorial last week, one of his, his sponsor from AA was stating that he was talking to Steve. He knew he was going to die. He said, well, you might as well just go get a drink. He said, I don't want to let my kids down because that's who I became. And that's what I'm fighting to be a better person. I don't want to show them that in the end, it's okay to change. And I was like, wow, I didn't even see that. I was trying to get him a beer myself. You know, he's like, I don't want to let you down, you know, and I'm trying to please him by doing what's really wrong by his standards at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really deep for me to see that and to, to hear that after his death, that he was trying to show us the way, you know, even 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 up to his death. So that kind of opened it up for me. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that's that's really important. It's like the classic uh, do the do the hard right over the easy, easy wrong, you know, or, you know, the what, what's the other one they do? I, I always forget. I wasn't very good at all the all the slogan and the <laughs> slogans and the jargon, you know. But you're, you're supposed to make the good decision, right? Like all all the way to the end. <laughs> the hard right or the easy wrong, or yeah, that's a that's a good one. I follow that. I mean, you, it's always a hard right when everyone around you is like, it's okay to do what's wrong, and you still do the right thing. That is following your morals because when no one else is, people say when no one's around you do the right thing. I'm like, well, that's easy, really. I mean, but when other people are around you trying to do the wrong thing and they think it's cool and and then you still do the right thing. That's setting an example. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think the most important takeaway, you know, if you're going to sit down on the keyboard and send us a message about what you think you would do, whether you throw a guy out of the helicopter or not, you got to remember war isn't about your ego. You know, we do get medals and we get accolades and a lot of respect when we get home. But when you're out there doing the job, 
none of it has anything to do with you. We're disposable. You know, how you feel about the situation has no bearing on the situation. You know, the most important thing you can do is your job because you're part of the machine. And you know, I think that's, that's the most important part. Yeah. What would I do? You know, like we all had an idea of what we would do before we went over there. You know, once we got there, once we were trained, we realized very quickly that it wasn't anywhere near like what we imagined. So just keep, keep your ego in check. It's part of serving. Thanks for listening to the Mentors for Military podcast. If you enjoyed our show and would like to show your support, you can go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L, and pick a tier to join and lend your support. As always, we'd like to give a big shout out to our largest supporters and our tribe members, Jonathan Lambert and Stephanie Lincoln of Fireteam Whiskey. <laughs>